Hello, welcome to Unleashing the Champion Within. I'm your host, Cindy Stewart. And each week, we'll bring you an inspiring message and give you tools to help you release the champion within. To find out more about Unleashing the Champion Within, go to my website, cindy-stewart.com. Our music today is by Alexander and the Grapes. Check out their latest release, Hyperself, on iTunes. Welcome to Episode 9, Relational Leadership. I'm going to show you four strategies to improve your team leadership. Are you killing your team off? Well, I was. Do you remember the first time your leadership style was critiqued? It was quite a shock to me. I was, a call, I was the manager of a call center that handled some of the most prestigious companies in our region. My boss and I were chatting about work and he said, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly. I think I was stunned. You know, Cindy, you're terrific at meeting the corporate goals. However, sometimes you leave a body count in the wake of your success. You're so determined to make the goals, you forget it takes people to help you achieve them. Wow. I was taken back, quite surprised. Because I'm extremely relational as well as being goal-driven but it was apparent that I was not incorporating them together. From that day forward, I became intent on developing my skills as a relational leader. So what is a relational leader? A relational leader carries the ability to build rapport with their team in a way that maximizes everyone's potential while creating synergy among them in achieving clear set goals. I learned the hard way that in order to be a relational leader, I first had to understand who I am and how I lead. And these tools became the cornerstone in building a strong team for me. You know, when you lead with that relation, without that relational factor, it costs you. Many people believe that their leaders are hired to do a job and the relational element is not necessary. But actually in a Gallup poll, results indicated that only 34% of employees are actively engaged in their work. Wow, think about that. So let's just say you have 100 employees. 34 of them are actively engaged. So what are the rest of them doing? Gallup continues stating that what they, the employees, want most is a great boss who cares about their development and a company that focuses on and develops their strengths. They want a relational leader. Without this key factor in your leadership toolbox, a negative domino effect is created in two ways. First, it can have a negative impact on your career. You may be hitting every current goal, but when there's a body count like I had of unhappy burnout team members, unappreciated team members, then you will eventually experience underperformance. The backlash of turnovers, losing well-trained, qualified people will reflect on your leadership ability. Secondly, it can affect the profitability of your bottom line. Whether your employees are performing at their maximum level makes a difference in how your profitability is. If they're only performing at a 50% rate because they're burnout or whatever the reason is, then when you do the P&L, when you do the profit and loss statements, you're gonna see 
that 50% loss on there. Maybe not in exact dollars, but it will be an accumulative effect. And really, one of the things you want to focus in on is what is missing. If my bottom line is shrinking, if my employees don't seem to be as effective, then reassess, ask, what is missing? You know, the willingness to move from a good leader to a great leader will be a game changer for everyone who is within the realm of your responsibility. When you develop a team who functions at a high level, it equates to success and success adds to your bottom line. In every leader, there's an aha moment like I had in which you realize you could have had greater success by being a relational leader. Now, I've developed four strategies for being a relational leader. And the first one is to really understand your leadership style. There's many tools out there to assess and do that type of thing. My company actually sent me to a Dell Carnegie leadership training course, which I believe lasted nine months, and it was four hours uh, once a week. It was quite intense. And from that, I took a lot of tools, but this one I kind of learned on my own. One of the things you have to understand is your personality and your leadership style. And I use Myers-Briggs all the time. I've used it on my employees. I use it on my volunteer staff. It helps to provide a greater understanding of the team as a whole. It also provides the information needed to understand the individual's capacity beyond their education or their training or their life experience, which if used properly, it can really strengthen your whole team. You know, we had an employee who was in a um, position of being an on-site liaison for a company. And they were really good in the encountering the employees, helping them out, uh, solving any problems, but they were not great at the detail. And when we moved them back to our corporate office, we realized that their composition was made to be more of a supervisor and then promoted to a manager, then director. We realized that their capacity was being used in the wrong way. They weren't a detailed person. They were a big picture person and they were a motivator of other people. So once we made that move and we put the detailed person on site and we brought the big picture person and promoted them, the productivity in the on-site changed dramatically. The errors went way down. And then the leadership of the location where they were promoted in took on a whole new perspective. And that's the key when you take a look at these things. You know, Myers-Briggs assists you in identifying preferences within your personality, not only you, but your team. And I use a free test on 16 personalities. You can just Google it. And this type of test provides a key to unlock the understanding of every person's very core. And it allows you to see what is their optimum performance and a greater engagement for each team member. And once you realize that, you realize your team is much stronger this way. And of course, there's four personality preferences and you can read all about it in the 16 personalities theory. But the assessment helps you understand the four key elements of how a person operates as a whole. We always talk about extrovert or introvert. I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. Well, really, 
the question is, what environment saps your energy and which one recharges it? An extrovert is recharged by being around other people. An introvert is recharged by finding a quiet space. The other element of it, there's four elements. The second element of it is, how do you process incoming information? Are you sensing? Are you more intuitive? The third one is, how, uh, what is your go-to process? I'm uh, sorry. The third one is, what is your go-to decision process? Do you think through it? Or you do, do you do it more internally through how you feel about it? And the fourth one is, what structure do you use in dealing with the outside world? Do you judge it or do you do it through perception? And judging isn't what you think. So I really challenge you to go in and take a look at this. I'm an ENTJ, which means I'm an extrovert. I live in a world where my energy is charged by being with others. I love being with people. If I'm in the house too long, I go stir crazy. So that's what the E is. The N is my decisions are intuitive, meaning I work in big picture. I, I look to others to put the details together, but my perspective is a big picture. And I'm a thinker, which is the T, E-N-T. I see what needs to be accomplished in order to produce the best results. And lastly, judging. And my outer world is the way I function in the judging. Specifically, I have a plan in place and my inner world creates new ideas and possibilities. So judging isn't what you think. Do you know how your leadership skills operate within your personality preferences? Well, you can take this assessment. I'll have all the information on my website, cindy-stewart.com, in my blog, uh, week number nine. And you can just read through, there's the links, take the assessment, review the assessment details, and consider how your preferences affect leading your team. And then decide the type of support you might need to further advance your skills, whether it's leadership training, whether it's relational coaching, or even additional education. And you can contact me for more information on my website. And don't forget, I always say, you are your greatest investment. It's worth it to invest in you. Well, remember my story about my body count? What I was missing was my ability to integrate my relational preference as an extrovert, excited, energized by being with people and the people I lead, with my decision, decision process as a T, a thinker, driven to accomplish the best results, which limited me to my bottom line goals being met at any cost. And with a little mentoring, a little education, and a little adjustment on my part, I was promoted and gained a greater number of employees to lead, and I was able to see the best avenue for each of those employees. And that's my second strategy. Strategy number two is really understanding your team. So first, let's define what we mean by team, your team. Your team is the people who are direct reports, who you are responsible for assisting you in accomplishing the goals set for the company. For example, when I was a director, I had managers located across the country. They were my direct reports, they were my team. Then they had people working for them and ultimately I was responsible for them, but they were not my direct reports. 
So I did not engage with them on a regular basis, a daily basis, like I did my managers. So as a leader, we're hired believing the right education and experience is enough to fill the position. Often we forget to place equal importance on our ability as leaders to work within the team dynamics. <laughs> I got to tell you this funny story. My worst hire happened many years ago, and it cost my team and our company profoundly. We hired a person who had experience and training, made it through multiple interviews with all the right answers. Once hired, we realized he lacked the interpersonal skills to work in a team environment. They were a lone ranger. Other team members left, costing the company valuable, well-trained people. We had volunteers. They left. This one misstep in hiring took over a year to fully recover once that person left. It took several years for that person to even leave. And that was a, a terrible mistake. And it was because we didn't understand how they functioned. When you function as an island by yourself, then it's hard to leave a team. So as I stated earlier, as a leader, understanding each person in the team and how they function is critical. And there's another component to that, and that is assisting the team in understanding how they function individually and how other members of the team also operate. This enables them to draw the best from one another. One of my team members is extremely detailed and needs to process every piece of information and all the elements, all the options, which is the sensing element in the Myers-Briggs before they're able to talk through the scenario. For people who are intuitive like me, that process can be very frustrating because I just wanna know what's the bottom line and they can't get to the bottom line until they know what are all the parameters. It took me a long time before I understood the necessity and value of their process. Now I've learned to give them space to process process all the options, lay out the details and possible outcomes. And then together we can formulate a win-win for us, for our team and for what the process is we have to do. It provides the best for the team and each member if we enable them to use the abilities they have to the fullest. And when it's not our skill, sometimes we lack the vision of seeing the value that they carry. But without that detail person, I know I miss a lot because it's just not my skill. So the uniqueness of each one of us and given each one of us the freedom to maximize and strengthen the process of information, the goal set in front of us, the outcome that we want really energizes and engages the team because they all feel part of the process. And as for a team leader like me, it maximizes my strength because I have other people who carry strengths I don't have. So you can do the Myers-Briggs for your whole team and just review the assessment as you go. And I'll have a spreadsheet on there that you can take a look at and you can see how does everybody fit? You know, oh, I see that Doris R is the detail person and John W is the numbers person. 
and Judy is the big per picture person. And when you put all those together, you can really formulate a strong team. So think about having your whole team, once you go through it, go uh, take the Myers-Briggs. And you know, you may need some help in organizing your team and possibly even moving team members around in different roles to maximize who they are. And of course, I can help you with that. You can fill out the contact information on the website and we can just begin a conversation about it. But really within this process, you will begin to foster an awareness for each person that works for you. And you will learn a new appreciation for them because you understand how they process and how they make decisions. And once you're finished with this overview, you're able to identify and structure a team that maximizes and provides the optimal capacity for each one. And each one is more appreciated. They feel more engaged. They feel more cared for because they're understood. Hope that makes sense. Like I said, it's all uh, be outlined on my website. The third strategy is after you've done all this, you're able to identify what is really missing in your team. One of the most common mistakes leaders make is self-duplication. They build a team which functions as they do, therefore limiting their ability to serve the company goals as a whole. I was part of an organization whose CEO was brilliant. I mean, he was brilliant, but an extreme introvert. And all except one of their management team were brilliant introverts. And the issue is not the introvert or the brilliance. It really is the lack of diversity in their ability to interact with the general population. You know, within this organization, it's interesting, a high percentage of their employees were also introverts. Now, introvert is recharged by withdrawing and being by themselves. And their company was a service company where people come in, lots of people, they house them, they take care of them. I mean, it's a people, it's a people job. And when you've got most of the people as introverts, it's hard to serve that person well because the people aren't in the right position that work for you. So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it's just a simply a preference of how you engage with people. And the bigger perspective is your goal and what type of education, experience, and personalities you need to accomplish those goals. The first two, education and experience, you can identify. However, personality preferences and how they fit in your organization may take some additional steps. So one of the things I always challenge people to do is the who, what, where, how, and why of each team member. And it really is an interview process of building the team and evaluating the people that you have and assessing new applicants. And you can use this to be able to structure what's missing or even reorganize a little bit to get everybody in their right position. And I'll go through these briefly, but like I said, they're on our website. First of all, who's the person? You know, who is the person is not always found on their resume. There are several key elements to zero in on. You know, presentation, eye contact, ability to communicate clearly, and basic etiquette norms. Now, it doesn't mean that 
if they don't have these, they're a no hire. It just means if you're hiring them for a sales position in the front office where people are going to come in, it's probably not the right position for them. But if you're hiring them for the filling the sales order where they pull the supplies off the shelf, package them and get them ready, they'd probably be great for it. So it's not a matter of just because they don't do these things, they don't fit. It's a matter of they don't fit this job, but they may fit another. Or it's very possible with a little training, they would be great for this job. So who is the person? The second one is what are their goals and aspirations? Now, people are asked that, what would you like to do in five years? Where do you see yourself in five years? Well, we've been Googled enough to know what to say, but you have to dig deep, listen intensely, make notes, and don't be fooled. They may have a fine arts degree, and so the question is, what made them take that direction? Why, are, why did you go to fine arts and what is drawing you toward our company that works on mechanical engineering or whatever it is? The important thing to remember is connecting their potential with the position and being able to sift through all of the rote interview questions that they've practiced and finding out the true giftings and, and abilities that they have. So who is the person? What is their aspirations and goals? Third, where would they bring the most value and excel within the team and organization? Of course, before you ask that question of them, you have to know what you need and what your team dynamics are and the skill that's required. But patience is the key. Don't rush the decision to have a warm body to fill the void. The right selection will save you money, time, and a great deal of frustration and chaos in your team. You know, it's funny, according to the um, Department of Labor, a bad hire can cost you up to 30% of the first year's annual salary. So when you make a bad hire and they make $50,000, that's going to cost you $15,000 to correct. So we, you just have to be well-defined in what the job requires, how the applicant will fit, and what is their skill set that will meet the position requires, and do they need extra training. So number four, how would their education experience and personality preferences fit within your team and within your company's core values? This is where you weigh the importance of each aspect of each potential team member. One company I wor worked for would only advance team members with degrees. It didn't matter what experience you had. You could have 20 years experience in that position, but if you didn't have an agree a degree, you would not get a promotion. So their core value was in education. They valued the process of education and the potential that education would bring. Another did not require a degree, another company I worked for, but their value was loyalty and commitment to service, servicing each other, servicing the customers that we had. We had internal uh, acknowledgements for great service to one another, employee to employee, and then we had external awards for servicing a customer well. So their 
core focus was anything can be taught, but service was the greatest value they could give. So it's interesting. You just have to figure out what's, what is your company's core value and use that to help determine whether they're going to fit within your team. And lastly, number five, and, and there's so much more we can do on this, but number five is why or why not the potential team member? You know, why or why not hire them? We hope for easy decisions and great applicants, although we always know it's not that simple. Every once in a while, there's a diamond that walks in that's perfect and doesn't need anything. But most of the time, everybody needs a little diamond in the rough that they have to get into the right position. Over the years, I've interviewed people where everything seemed right, but my, my gut said, no, I just can't hire them. And one of them, I kept trying to talk myself into hiring. I was like, come on, they're a great applicant. They have great experience. But every time I talked to them, it wasn't anything they did. They smiled, eye contact, they did all the right things. But inside, I was just like, I just can't do it. And I didn't hire them. I passed on them. And, you know, that's a tough one to do because you think they're perfect but they weren't perfect for us. And that's what you have to be able to trust. You have to be able to trust that you know what you need and your goals, your needs, your skills, the personality composition is clear. So when that person comes in, you know if they're the right fit to maximizing your team. So you've just got to really focus in on developing that team. And that's really our strategy number four. You know, strategy number three was, you know, just making sure we understand what's missing in our team and understanding the, the who's, the why's, the what's of a person. But strategy number four is once you get there, always investing in your team and developing your team. You know, as a leader, your team is everything. And you invest in them from the moment they're hired. It doesn't matter how long they've been a part of your team. You can always fine tune your relational leadership with them. And remember, fine tuning leaders leads to a greater success in your own personal life, a greater success in your business, a greater success in everything you do, because you're always looking for ways to improve just that one more step up. And taking it up a notch does not have to be drastic. It can be taken small steps at a time. And I have a couple of action steps you can be pondering over. Now, the first one is just clearly communicate with your team. What is the goal? What have you learned? What have you discovered? And, and listen to them because they have input. And that's number two. Encourage their input and listen carefully. Create an atmosphere for dialogue for communication. Only you can assess the ability of your team to communicate openly with trust and honor. And if your team is afraid to communicate openly with you, then that is a relational leadership issue. You should not be surprised by what comes out of their mouth. The one thing I hate is, is when someone left and if they would have only expressed what they were concerned about, it would have been an easy fix. But that path had gone, they'd taken another job, and obviously my lines of communication weren't open enough. And that's not always true, but it is 
I would say for the majority of time. You've got to be able to have your person be able to come to you and say, this is my issue. I think we can fix it by doing this. Have them bring the solution with them. Encourage those solutions. And even when their solutions may not work, there's that kudos for them for even thinking about giving a solution instead of saying, here's the problem. Let me know what you want to do. We want to encourage thinking. Number three is set up regular scheduled connection times with the whole team. And depending on your team members, how spread out they are, a lot of people work out of home or you're across the country or across the world, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, you know, Skype, FaceTime, whatever it is, make sure you communicate with them and set up a regular communication time. And that also helps your schedule because if they know that you meet bi-weekly, then they're not going to be interrupting you three times a week because they can just save it for the meeting and let's just go over it unless it's an emergency. One on one on in person is the best for sure. But if you can't do it that way, video conferencing, phone conferencing, whatever it takes, you want to be able to have that open communication with your team. And I want you to be encouraged as a relational leader. And I just I'm going to end on this. You are not alone. As leaders, we've tried many of the latest leadership fads, but we always return to one, and that's relational leadership. People are built for relationships. We want to engage with others. Engagement with others provides a greater sense of accomplishment and commitment as a whole. Speaking as a leader to each of you, Synergy with your team provides the greatest ability to thrive even in hard times. The team that is able to add value to you as a leader, as well as other members, will be able to do the impossible together as one. So know that as a leader, you don't know everything. But as a leader, there's so many ways to improve your skills. There's so many ways to overcome this one little thing that may be nagging at you. And remember, as I always say, you are the best investment you can make. So invest in you. If you need help in this subject, fill out the contact information. I'll be glad to get right back with you because leadership is one of the greatest passions I have because we know that when a leader is transformed and a leader grows, then everyone he leads, including his family, including his community, including his company, gets the benefit of that transformation. So have a great week and try out this Myers-Briggs. I think it'll help you a lot. Thank you for listening today. Did you enjoy this podcast? Before you leave, take a minute and rate it on iTunes and subscribe to Unleashing the Champion Within so you won't miss an episode. You can also visit our webpage, cindy-stewart.com, and get your free ebook, Relational Leadership. You can contact me on my website or on my Twitter account, at cindystewart1, on Instagram, cindystewartauthor, and Facebook, cindystewartauthor. Until next time, remember, live your life as a champion, making every day count. Thank you.